ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله so continuing with بلوغ المرام we'll have a look at some of the narrations Regarding the prayer, certain acts that are allowed within the prayer. These following a hadith are now going to discuss certain acts that are allowed within the prayer. So firstly we have the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu qal Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam At-tasbihu lil-rijal wa-tasfiqu lil-nisa Muttafaqun alayhi Zada Muslim fi-salah in this hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, he narrates that the Prophet said, the tasbih, the statement subhanallah, that is for the men, and the clapping is for the women. That is a hadith which is muttafaqun alayhi, al-Bukhari and Muslim. And in the narration of Muslim, he added in the prayer. So the statement subhanallah, that is for the men in the prayer, and the clapping is for the women in the prayer. But what does that mean? We'll come to it now in the explanation. So this hadith now it mentions that in the prayer, these acts are permissible for the men, the tasbih, and for the women, the clapping. The reason for this hadith, and the reason or the purpose as to why this was mentioned, is that on one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ, he went out to see to the affairs of some of the companions. Some of the companions, they had a misunderstanding regarding some issue. And so the Prophet ﷺ went, to resolve this misunderstanding which had occurred on some issue. And when the Prophet ﷺ went to resolve this misunderstanding which had occurred, the time for the prayer came. فَخَرَجَ يَصْلَحُ بَيْنَهُمْ فَحَضَرَتِ وَتَأَخَّرَ النَّبِيُّ So when the Prophet ﷺ went to resolve this affair, this misunderstanding that had occurred, the time for the prayer came, and so the Prophet ﷺ was late. فَجَاءَ بِلَالٌ إِلَىٰ أَبِي بَكَرٍ وَطَلَبَ مِنْهُ أَنْ يُسَلِّيَ بِالنَّاسِ So Bilal, radiyallahu anhu, the mu'adhin, he came to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, radiyallahu anhu, and asked him to lead the prayer. He came to him and asked him to lead the prayer, because the Prophet ﷺ had been delayed, resolving the uh, issue with the companions. فَبَدَأَ أَبُو بَكَرٍ رَضِيَ anhu as-salata bin-nas. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, he began to pray. He began to lead the prayer. ثُمَّ دَخَلَ النَّبِيَ سَلَّمُ وَلَمْ يَشْعُرُ بِهِ أَبُو بَكْرٍ Then as Abu Bakr had started the prayer now, radiallahu anhu, and he was leading the people, the Prophet ﷺ arrived. But Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu didn't realize that the Prophet ﷺ has arrived. So he continued in the prayer leading the people. فَأَخَذَ النَّاسُ يُسَبِّحُونَ وَكَانَ أَبُو بَكَرْ لَا يَلْتَفِدُ فِي صَلَاتِهِ فَلَمَّا أَكْثَرُوا مِنَ التَّسْبِيحُ الْتَفَتَ فَرَأَ النَّبِيَ سَلَّمُ 
So when the Prophet ﷺ walked in, and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu was now already leading the prayer, the other companions who were in the rows, they noticed that the Prophet ﷺ has walked in, has arrived. So they began to say, Subhanallah, Subhanallah to Abu Bakr, to indicate to him that the Prophet ﷺ has arrived. So they began to say, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. But Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he didn't used to turn around or to give that attention in that way. But when they continued to keep saying it, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Then Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu turned around in the prayer and he saw that the Prophet ﷺ has arrived. So then when the Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu saw that the Prophet ﷺ had arrived, he then wanted to come back and allow the Prophet ﷺ to step forward and continue the prayer. He wanted to come back and allow the Prophet ﷺ to move forward and take the position of the Imam and continue the prayer. But when he wanted to do that, the Prophet ﷺ indicated to him to stay. The Prophet ﷺ indicated to Abu Bakr stay. However, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu did not wish to stay and lead the prayer whilst the Prophet ﷺ was there. So he came back. And so the Prophet ﷺ went forward into the position of the Imam. And then he completed the prayer uh, with the people. Then after the prayer, the Prophet ﷺ explained to them all that in the prayer for the men, if any issue arises, during the prayer, if any issue arises during the prayer, then the men, they say the tasbih, subhanallah. They make that statement, subhanallah, if some issue occurs in the prayer to remind the imam. As for the women, then they clap. So here then, a hadith fihi mashru'iyatu tasfiq wa lil-rijal. The hadith indicates the legislation of clapping for the women and the tasbih, saying subhanallah for the men, if some need came about in the prayer, some issue occurred during the prayer. For example, the imam, maybe he starts to give salam early. There's a raka'ah left. But he forgets to get up and he starts to give salam, for example. So you say subhanallah to remind the imam. Or for example, after the second raka'ah, the imam stands up and he forgets to sit down for the tashahud. So you quickly remind him, subhanallah. So this, in these kinds of circumstances, then the imam can be reminded by the men with that statement of subhanallah. As for the women, then they do not speak. If any issue occurs, the women don't speak and say subhanallah. Instead, they clap their hands. And it's mentioned the manner in which they do that. تُصَفِّقُ بِأَن تَضْرِبَ بِبَطْنِ يَدِهَا الْيُمْنَا so the woman, she claps, but how? With the right hand, the palm of her right hand, onto the upper side of her left hand. Like when you are praying, you hold your right hand on top of your left hand. The palm of your right hand, you strike it onto the top part of your left hand. Not like the normal clapping that people are used to where the two palms hit each other. The normal clapping is where the two palms of both hands, 
the palm of the right and the palm of the left, they hit each other. But here in this, uh, Sheikh Fawzan, Hafizahullah says, the way that you clap is, the palm of the right hand, you hit it onto the top of the left hand. Not the palm of the left hand. On top of the left hand. This is what's mentioned regarding the style that the women, they clap, if some issue occurs and they need to remind the imam. So this hadith indicates clearly the legislation for those two acts within the prayer, if some reason dictated that it was needed. If it was needed to have to remind the imam about something in the prayer, then the men they say subhanallah and the women they clap in the manner that we just explained. This also indicates, the shaykh says, that the voice, the sound, the voice of a woman is awra. The shaykh says this would be an evidence to say that the the voice of a woman is awra. لِأَنَّهُ سَأَسَلَّمْ أَمَرَهَا بِالتَّسْفِيقِ وَلَمْ يَأْمُرْهَا بِالتَّسْبِيحِ And the evidence the shaykh gives here is because the Prophet ﷺ commanded the women not to speak and say subhanallah, but instead commanded them to clap. So that would indicate the shaykh says upon this opinion that the voice of the woman is an awra. Uh, awra meaning that it is something to be concealed. And the woman should not make her voice apparent to the men and those who are not from her maharim. لِأَنَّ صَوْتَهَا فِيهِ فِتْنَةِ Because the shaykh says, even within the voice of a woman, there is fitna. There is a trial, even within the voice of a woman, to hear the voice of a woman, then that can be a trial similarly for the men. كَمَا أَنَّهَا أُمِرَتْ أَيْضًا بِخَفْضِ صَوْتِهَا بِالتَّلْبِيَةِ Another example the shaykh gives is, when hajj is made, and you recite the talbiyah, لَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَّيْكَ لَبَّيْكَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَكَ لَبَّيْكَ then the men are supposed to raise their voices, but in the sunnah it is mentioned that the women are supposed to lower their voices. So again the shaykh says that is another evidence that they, uh, their voice within it is a fitna for the men, and therefore they should lower their voices, and their voice is considered awra, uh, as the shaykh mentions here, in accordance to that opinion. Also one more point that can be mentioned regarding this hadith, another benefit is, the incorrect act, there is an incorrect act, and that is for men to clap. The hadith mentions that women clap if an issue occurs. Therefore indicating the shaykh says that this act of clapping is not something suitable for men. They should not clap their hands. That is something that was specified for the women to do. So the man should not imitate the act of the woman that was prescribed for the woman. So the shaykh mentions it is not befitting to clap in this way, which would be even a, a, a resemblance to the kuffar. تَشَبُّهُمْ بِالْكُفَّارِ فَلِذَلِكَ لَا يَصْلُحُ تَصْفِيقِ لِلْرِجَالِ فِي حَالٍ مِنَ الْأَحْوَالِ The shaykh says it is not befitting for men to clap ever in any situation. Let alone the prayer or outside of the prayer, in any situation, it is not befitting for men to clap. That isn't something befitting, it is resemblance of the kuffar. And the shaykh says, that's why the Prophet ﷺ commanded them to say subhanallah. Instead of clapping their hands, the clapping was for the women. And so the shaykh says, it is uh, uh, not befitting how this occurs, especially in these kinds of gatherings, in these uh, concerts and whatever, like there may be a lecture in a big theater or somebody is speaking, and then everybody claps when the speaker says something good, as the way of the kuffar, when they have their conferences and their gatherings, 
in these big halls and theaters. And then whenever something good is said that pleases them, they all start to clap their hands. The Shaykh says this type of affair is not befitting and it is not correct. In fact, it is not allowed for the men to clap in any state, in any situation. Then after that, we have the hadith of Mutarrif ibn Abdullah ibn al-Shikhir عن أبيه قال رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي وفي صدره أزير كأزير المرجل من البكاء أخرجه الخمسة إلا ابن ماجه وصححه ابن حبان In this hadith مطرف ابن عبد الله ابن شخير narrates from his father that he saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam praying. He says, I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam praying. And in his chest or from his chest was a sound reverberating. Like the water when it boils in a pot. When you have water or some type of liquid and it's boiling in a pot, you hear that boiling kind of sound, that simmering kind of sound. He says that's the type of sound which was exiting or emanating from the chest of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Why and how? Due to crying. The Prophet sallallahu was crying in the prayer, and that is why this sound was emanating from his chest from crying. A sound which the example is given is like when you see something or hear something rather boiling or simmering in a pot, the type of sound which comes. Then this is the type of example that is given regarding when he says, I saw the Prophet ﷺ praying and this sound was reverberating from him, uh, from the crying. So the hadith mentions, أَنَّ النَّبْسَ سَلَّمْ كَانَ يُصَلِّ وَيَقْرَأَ الْقُرْآنِ وَيَبْكِي عَلَيْهِ صَلَةُ وَالسَّلَامِ حَتَّى يُسْمَعَ لِصَدْرِهِ أَزِيرٌ كَأَزِيرِ الْمِرْجَلِ so the Prophet ﷺ used to pray and used to recite the Qur'an in the prayer and used to cry in the prayer due to the humbleness and the humility in front of Allah and the recitation of the words of Allah. Then due to that fear and that submissiveness, then the Prophet ﷺ would cry in reciting the Qur'an in the prayer and this voice would be heard just like when you hear the water boiling or simmering in a pot from that crying coming from the chest. فَدَلَّ هَذَا عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْبُكَاءَ مِنْ خَشْيَةِ اللَّهِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ لَا يُؤَثِّرُ عَلَىٰ الصَّلَاةِ This therefore indicates that if a person does cry in the prayer due to their humility and humbleness in front of Allah, their subservience, their love, the fear, the hope, the recitation of the Qur'an, the impact and the effect that it has, if a person ends up crying in the prayer, then that is not something which affects the prayer. It is not something that would nullify the prayer or have any type of impact on the prayer that you have to repeat the raka'ah or anything of that nature. The crying does not affect the prayer. Uh, however, the shaykh says, if a person is able to lower his voice and control the crying, then that's what you should do. If a person is able to try to control and suppress the crying and keep the voice low, then that is better and that's what you should try to do. And the Shaykh says, in fact, it is incorrect what some people do. If they begin to cry, then they cry with a loud voice in the prayer, as if they are almost 
screaming, from crying with an extremely loud voice. That isn't befitting, the Shaykh says. If a person does cry due to the subservience and the recitation of the Qur'an, then it is still befitting to try to keep that lowered, try to control that crying, not to allow it to become loud uh, in that manner. So the Shaykh says, وَإِخْفَاءُ بِكْبُكَائِهِ مَا أَمْكَنْ وَلَكِنْ لَوْ ظَهْرَ مِنْهُ صَوْتٌ كَمَا كَانَ يَحْصُلُ مِنْ نَبْسِ سَلَّمْ فَإِنَّ هَذَا لَا بَأْسَ بِهِ فَقَدْ كَانَ سَلَّمْ أَحْيَانًا نُسْمَعُ لَهُ نَشِيدٌ مِنْ شِدَّةِ الْبُكَاءِ So if a person is able to try to control that crying so that the voice does not become too loud in the crying during the prayer, that is better. However, the Shaykh does mention that if a person does end up crying, then that is not something that affects the prayer or has any uh, impact on the prayer that you have to repeat it or the raka'ah or anything of that nature. Uh, and it's also mentioned here, وَكَانَ عُمَرَ إِذَا أَمَّ النَّاسَ فِي الصَّلَاةِ وَقَرَأَ الْقُرْآنَ كَانَ يُسْمَعُ نَشِيدُهُ مِنْ وَرَاءِ الصُّفُوفِ خَاشِيَةً لِلَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلِ وَتَأَذْذُرًا بِالْقُرْآنِ Similarly, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, when he used to lead the people in prayer, then it's mentioned that his, uh, the sound of his crying could be heard in the rows behind him, due to his fear of Allah and the impact and the effect that the Qur'an has upon the one who recites it and understands it. فَمِثْلُ هَذَا الْبُكَاءَ الَّذِي مِنْ خَشْيَةِ اللَّهِ لَا يُؤْتِرْ عَلَى الصَّلَاةِ So this type of crying which is from the fear of Allah, from the subservience and humility and humbleness to Allah in that prayer, in that worship, then it doesn't affect the prayer. However, the shaykh says, الَّذِي يُؤْتِرُ الَّذِي يُؤْتِرُ التَّكَلُّ فِي هَذَا وَالتَّنَطُّعْ فِيهِ كَمَا يَحْصُلُ مِنْ بَعْدَ الْجَهْلَةِ الَّذِينَ يَتَكَلَّفُونَ بِالْبُكَاءِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ حَتَّى يَبْدُوا مِنْهُمَ النَّحِيبُ وَالصَّرَاخِ The shaykh says, what is wrong and what is something that is not good is the exaggeration some people may fall into in that. They begin to cry and so they exaggerate it and raise their voice and elongate it. That is not something which is allowable to be done and that is something that can impact the prayer. وَمِثْلُ هَذَا أَوْ هَؤُلَاءِ يُخْشَعَ عَلِهِمْ مِنَ الْرِيَاءِ And the shaykh says, those types you fear that they may fall into showing off. وَقَدْ كَانَ أَبُوْ بَكَرِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ يَبْكِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ وَيَتَأَثَّرُ As for the companions, and they used to cry from their sincere subservience to Allah and their fear of Allah. Like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ He used to cry in the prayer to the extent حَتَّى إِنَّ نَبْسَ سَلَّمْ لَمَّا أَمَرَ عَائِشَةَ أَن تُبْلِغَهُ بِأَنْ يُسَلِّيَ بِالنَّاسِ فِي مَرَضِهِ إِذَا قَامَ مَقَامَكَ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يُسْمِعُ النَّاسَ مِنَ الْبُكَاءِ Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, when the Prophet ﷺ was in his illness, then he told Aisha radiallahu anha to go and tell Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu to lead the prayer. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she said to the Prophet ﷺ that indeed Abu Bakr, he is Rajulun Asif. He is a, a man who has uh, the type of heart that from that subservience and from that humility and from that fear of Allah, he will cry. And so if he stands in your place leading the prayer, the people will not be able to hear the prayer due to his crying. So this was the way of the companions and that was due to their genuine sincerity and humbleness in front of Allah. But as for the people who do it outside of that and exaggerate in that, that is not correct. 
an individual who genuinely falls into that genuine, sincere crying due to their humility and understanding the words of Allah, then the point being here from this hadith that it does not affect the prayer. Uh, so that therefore indicates the permissibility for someone to cry if they ended up crying in that situation during the prayer. After that, عن علي رضي الله عنه, or rather we'll, we'll leave that one for now, one after that, عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما قال, قلت لبلال كيف رأيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يرد عليهم حين يسلمون عليه وهو يسلي قال رأيته يقول هكذا وبسط كفه أخرجه أبو داود وترمذي وصححه إن حديث عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنهما he said that I said to Bilal how did you see the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم returning the salam when he was praying when the people used to give salam to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم whilst he was praying then how did he used to respond? How did he used to reply the salam whilst he was praying? He said, رَأَيْتُهُ يَقُولُ هَكَذَا He said, I saw him do this. And he spread his palm out. I.e. that he used to indicate back to them. Not reply whilst praying, salam, Rather indicate with his hand. Spreading out the palm. Spreading out the palm to indicate with the hand the response to the person who gives the salam. So you are praying, an individual gives you salam whilst you're in the prayer, then you don't respond and say, wa alaykum salam But with your hand, you indicate to them that you are responding to their salam. Indicate with your hand and continue in your prayer. And this is what's mentioned in this narration. So the shaykh says, this is another type of act which is permissible within the prayer. And that is to return the salam to somebody who gives you the salam whilst you are in the prayer. Um, this hadith, it is linked to an event which occurred on one occasion with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-hadithu hadha waridun fi qissati khurujihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ila masjidi quba lissalati fi. This uh, narration is regarding a story when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on one occasion, he left to go and pray in masjid quba. And that is due to the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding that. لَمَسْجِدٌ أُسِّسَ عَلَى التَّقْوَى مِنْ أَوَّلِ يَوْمِ أَحَقُّ أَنْ تَقُومَ فِيهِ That a masjid that has been built upon taqwa from the very beginning, then that is the more deserving to be prayed within. So it is a sunnah to go and pray in Masjid Quba for the one who is resident in Medina. For those who are resident there, then it is sunnah for them to go and pray in Masjid Quba. Meaning, it is not sunnah for somebody to travel specifically from this country or elsewhere, specifically for Masjid Quba. But if you are there due to traveling for the sake of the Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, then on that occasion you go and pray in Masjid Quba, as the Prophet ﷺ used to do on Saturdays, he would go walking and pray in Masjid Quba, and it's mentioned that the reward of that is equal to an Umrah. So when the people, they realized that he, sallallahu alayhi wa prays in Masjid Quba, then they all began to come. They all began to come to give salam to him. So when they would come and give salam to him, on some occasion he would still be in the prayer, 
And that's when he would then reply the salam with a, an indication with his hand, not with the verbal response. So the hadith indicates, firstly, the virtue of Masjid Quba. The virtue of Masjid Quba is indicated within this hadith. And that's why the scholars, they say, if you go to Medina, then there are five sunnah things that you should do. Or five sunnah places that you should visit. So they are. What are the five? Before that. No, in Medina. When you're in Medina, what are the five places that are sunnah for you to go visit in Medina? Masjid al-Nabawi, obviously. Al-Masjid al-Nabawi. The Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. Then also another Masjid which is? Masjid Quba. So those are the two mosques that it is sunnah for you to go and visit when you are in Medina. Then there are three other places that are sunnah for you to go and visit. When you are in Medina, you've gone there for Umrah in Mecca, then you've traveled to Medina for example, you're there now, there are three other places that are sunnah for you to visit. The grave of the Prophet ﷺ, to give the salam, that is one. Also, That's mentioned about the rawdah and the virtues of the rawdah, but it's not in these five that we intend. Two more places. Uhud. Shuhada Uhud. To go and visit the martyrs of Uhud. And one more. The answer's coming from down here. Mount Uhud is gone. One more left. So we've had the Prophet's mosque, Sallallahu We've had the grave of the Prophet, Sallallahu We've had Masjid Quba. We've had the martyrs of Uhud. Well, sort of, but need to be more specific. Not just graves of the companions... Baqi'ah. The graveyard Baqi'ah. That's why the scholars, they say, easy way to remember, two mosques, three graveyards. The mosque, the Prophet's Masjid, Masjid Quba, two mosques. Three graveyards, the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, to give the salam. Baqi'ah, and the grave of the martyrs, Uhud. So three places of burial and two masajid. They are sunnah to visit if you are in Medina. Uh, the hadith also indicates... The permissibility of giving salam to somebody who's in prayer. Because the Prophet ﷺ used to be praying there, and they used to come and give salam, and he never rejected that. He never said to them after the prayer, it's impermissible to do so. So, it indicates that it is permissible to give salam to somebody who's in prayer. And that if that occurs, you then respond with the sign or the indication with your hand, and not verbally. Uh, even though some of the scholars have said, some of the scholars they used to say, the hadith indicates that it's permissible. It doesn't mean that it's recommended. So some of the scholars they used to say, even though yes, it's permissible because of this narration, it's not something that's recommended though. Some of the scholars used to say that. They used to say it's makruh, even though it is permissible, no doubt. Because the Prophet ﷺ didn't prevent them. He didn't prohibit them. He would reply to them with the hand. But some of the scholars they said it's makruh. Because a person is praying, he's concentrating, he's reciting, then it's not befitting for you to go in, as alaykum, to disturb that person's thought. 
for him to then have to reply to you. So some of the scholars, they used to say, don't give salam in that instance, when somebody's praying. And it's sunnah to give the salam anyway, it's not an obligation. So they used to say, if somebody's praying, some of them, don't give the salam whilst that person's praying, allow him to finish. So you don't break his line of thought, etc. He has to respond to you. That's what some of them used to mention. Even though here, like the hadith mentions, it's not haram, it is permissible. It's permissible to do so. You come into the masjid, the people are praying, you give the salam, it's allowed. And if that occurs, you respond with the indication with your hand and not verbally. Also something from this is the keen nature of the companions to find out how the Prophet ﷺ used to do everything. How keen they were to find out how the Prophet ﷺ used to do everything. So that's why they came to Bilal anhu here and they asked him, somebody gives you salam, how did the Prophet ﷺ used to reply? What do we do? They were always keen to find out the details of their religion. What do you do in this instance? What do you do in that instance? So they came to Bilal anhu on this case and they said on this instance, what do you do in that situation? What did you see the Prophet ﷺ doing? If somebody gives you salam and you're praying, how do you respond? So then Bilal radiallahu anhu told them that I saw the Prophet praying and this is how he would respond with the movement of the hand uh, and not verbally. So that is something that is permissible to do within the prayer to respond to somebody who gives you the salam with the hand. Not to shake the hand, you understand, just to make the indication with your hand and then continue. Then Anabi Qatada radiallahu anhu and this is the final hadith in this section. عن ابي قتاده رضي الله عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي وهو حامل امامه بنت زينب فاذا سجد وضعها واذا قام حملها متفق عليه ولمسلم وهو يا ام الناس في المسجد in this hadith of abu qatada رضي الله عنه he says that the prophet sallallahu used to be praying and he was carrying umama bint zainab his granddaughter, he would be carrying Umama bint Zainab, and when he would go into prostration, he would put her down, and then if he got up from the prostration to stand up again, he would pick her up with him. So he would be carrying this child, his granddaughter, Umama bint Zainab, when he was praying. And when he would go down into prostration, he would put her down and prostrate, and then when he was going to finish from his prostration and go up again, he would take her and pick her up again. So that's what this hadith indicates. And in one narration, this is in Al-Bukhari a Muslim, in the narration of Muslim it says, that was when he was leading the people in prayer even. When he was even leading the people in prayer, he would do that with his granddaughter. So هذا الحديث أيضاً فيه بيان نوع آخر مما يجوز في الصلاة. This hadith therefore indicates another one of the actions that is permissible in the prayer, and that is جواز أن يحمل المصلي معه شيء في الصلاة. The permissibility of the one praying to carry something during the prayer. It doesn't necessarily have to be a child. It could be something else that you have to keep with you whilst praying. So the permissibility of being able to carry something during the prayer due to a need. If there was a need to have to keep something intact with you, then that is permissible to do so during the prayer. For example, here now, like a small child, if there was a need to do that, then there is nothing preventing you from that. Because like we said here, the Prophet ﷺ, he used to carry Umama, the daughter of Zainab, uh, who was the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, and therefore Umama was his granddaughter ﷺ. Um, what does this hadith 
indicate then firstly jawaz duhul al-atfal ila al-masajid firstly it indicates the permissibility for children to come to the masajid the permissibility for children to come to the masjid here the prophet ﷺ was carrying his young granddaughter whilst he was in the masjid praying as the narration of sahih muslim says which clearly indicates young children were in the masjid this is something permissible Unlike what some of the people they do now, they make rules in their masajid, it is not allowed for any children to come. Anyone under the age of 8 or 9 or whatever they say, nobody bring them. That isn't really correct. It's not correct and in line with what the Prophet ﷺ used to do. The children used to go into the masjid. But obviously, as Shaykh Fawzan, he mentions, if you are going to bring children to the masjid, then you must keep them under control. They must be kept under control. فَدَلَّ عَلَى جَوَازِ دُخُولِ الْأَطْفَالِ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ Indicates the permissibility of children entering the masajid. إِذَا حُفِذُوا If they are looked after, they don't mess around and make noise and disturb and play around. They are brought but they are looked after. وَلَمْ يَحْسُلْ مِنْهُمَا أَذَا And there is no problems or issues that are occurred that happened due to these kids messing around. If you bring them, then you look after them. And if you do, then there is no harm in bringing kids to the masjid. Bringing young children to the masjid to teach them, to bring them to that environment, as long as you can keep them under control and they're not going to mess around, and that is completely permissible in accordance to this narration where the Prophet ﷺ was carrying his granddaughter in the masjid. Al-mas'alatu thaniya fil hadith dalilun ala tawadu'ihi sallam مع أنه أكرم الخلق وأشرفهم على الإطلاق كان يحمل هذه الطفلة إذا قام ويضعها إذا سجد In the hadith is an evidence for the modesty and the humbleness of the Prophet wasallam, despite the fact that he was the seal of the messengers, the best of creation despite all of that then he would carry from his humbleness and modesty his young granddaughter in the prayer indicating the mannerisms of the Prophet wasallam. thirdly there is an evidence ala jawaz hamlit tifl fi salah kama fa'ala nabi sallam the permissibility of carrying a child whilst praying just like the prophet sallam did anna dhalika la yu'attiru ala salah and that carrying a young child in a prayer does not affect your prayer falaw sallayta wa anta hamilun li tiflin sawa'an kana dhakaran aw unta fala ba'sa bi dhalik so if you were praying and you were carrying a child a boy or a girl, irrelevant. That does not have an effect on your prayer. Especially if there was a need. Especially if there was a need to do so. There was some need, the child's going to run away, off into the street, etc. Get run over, you have to keep the child with you, close with you. Then okay, in that situation when there's a need, carry that child. Or for example, you bring the child and the child is young, boy or girl. And if you put them down by the side, they'll start crying, they'll start making noise, they won't sit by themselves, so you keep them carried. That's okay, the shaykh, there's no problem in that. If there's a need to do that, because otherwise they're going to sit there and cry and disturb everyone else and run around, etc., then okay, keep them carried, and there is no harm in that during the prayer. And that is the reason why the author mentioned this hadith here, to prove the permissibility of that act. The final narration then, Rather, that was the penultimate narration. This is the final narration now. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أقتل الأسودين في الصلاة الحية والعقرب 
أخرجه الأربعة وصححه ابن حبان. This is another action which is permissible to do during the prayer. In the hadith of Abu Huraira, رضي الله عنه, he says that the Prophet said, "Kill the two black ones in the prayer." What does it mean? The two black items, the snake and the scorpion. The Prophet was referring to the snakes and the scorpions. Kill those two dark or black items, the snakes and the scorpions in the prayer. So this indicates that during the prayer, it is permissible to kill the snake or a scorpion, uh, even during the prayer whilst you are praying. If they come across you, if they come in your vicinity, then it is permissible to kill them even during the prayer. Because they are harmful, they are poisonous. So to remove that harm from yourself... And to protect yourself, even during the prayer, it is permissible to kill them with a stick or a stone that is there. You're able to kill them even during the prayer. Why are they called the two black items? As they say, because a lot of scorpions will be dark and black in color. And a lot of snakes, they are dark, brown, black in color. So due to the majority of snakes and scorpions, or a lot of them being that dark color... Then they say this is taghlib, that the Prophet ﷺ used the majority case to indicate everything. So even if the snake wasn't black, the ruling is the same. Even if the scorpion wasn't black, the ruling is the same. But here the word black is used to indicate the majority of the time, the snake and the scorpion will be dark and black. So those two are permissible to kill during the prayer, even if a person has to move around in the prayer. He sees the scorpion down by his side. So it's okay, you can pick the rock up, kill the scorpion, even if you have to move slightly, and then continue with your prayer, that's permissible. Permissible to kill the black, the scorpion and the snake, due to their poison and their harm, even if you have to slightly move around in the prayer to do so, and then you continue, and that does not affect your prayer. فَيَجُوزُ لَكَ أَن تَقْتُلَ الْحَيَّةَ أَوْ الْعَقْرَبِ بِعَصَى أَوْ بِحَصَى You can kill the snake or the scorpion with a stick or with some stones, or with anything else. Whilst you are praying, وأنت تصلي, ولو أدى ذلك إلى أن تلتفت, ولا يؤثر ذلك على صلاتك. Even if it meant you had to slightly move around, if you had to move slightly to kill the snake or the scorpion, it's not right there; it's just here or there. You have to move slightly to get to it with the stick or the stone. It's permissible, and then you continue with your prayer, and it does not affect your prayer. So this is again something that the Prophet ﷺ he allowed for a person who is praying to do. In that circumstance, when that occurs, um, so these are some of the acts that are permissible for an individual to do whilst praying. A person, if he ends up crying due to his humbleness and uh, subservience to Allah and the effect of the words of Allah upon him, then that does not affect your prayer. A person, if he returns the salam to somebody who gives him salam by indicating with a hand, that does not affect your prayer. A person carries a small child in the prayer due to some need, then that does not indicate uh, uh, harm your prayer. And if a person was to kill the scorpion or the snake during the prayer, then once again that does not harm your prayer. Uh, the narration that we left it mentions in that one that the Prophet ﷺ used to make a sound in the prayer when you say <coughs> when you make this sound of this nature. To indicate to somebody who's maybe walked in or they want something, to indicate to them that you're busy or in the prayer, then this narration is mentioned, but some of the scholars, they say it's weak. They say it's weak uh, regarding that. So that is something that requires more research. But these other affairs that we've mentioned, they are explained by Sheikh Al-Fawzan in the manner that we have now translated.
So we'll conclude upon that point, and next time we'll start the new chapter, which is still within the prayer. This whole book is the prayer. We've done barely, maybe, maybe a quarter now. So the next part is still within the chapter, and it is regarding the sutra. The sutra, having something in front of you when you are praying. We will start with that chapter in two weeks' time, insha'Allah ta'ala, speaking about the sutra in the prayer. And that is a small chapter, not many ahadith. Perhaps, insha'Allah, we will conclude the whole of the chapter of the sutra in the next session. And then after that, we will start on the chapter regarding the khushu' in the prayer. How do you focus and concentrate in the prayer? And the issues regarding that and relating to that, that will be insha'Allah then in four weeks time. In two weeks time regarding the sutra, hopefully we'll finish it in that session. And then in four weeks time, uh, the khushu'ah. Uh, there's a question that came here. There are some questions here regarding the prayer, various issues on things that we've mentioned related to it, or some not related to it, but they are all regarding the prayer. But all of these, inshallah, uh, will bring the fatawa, which is uh, better. We'll bring the fatawa of Sheikh bin Baz and others regarding all of these questions in the next session. Uh, reciting the dua and uh, the mahram leading the prayer, etc. Uh, non-verbal communication to other than salam. Inshallah, next time, in two weeks' time, if you attend, we'll bring you the fatawa of the scholars on these issues, inshallah ta'ala.